make certain that your story is clear and concise and that the value proposition and the market are there. Again, you can have a, a cool technology, but that may not mean anything. You can have a good market, but not a good technology. You can even have a big market and a cool technology, but the value proposition when you pull into account economics is still not there. So you've got to really be able to explain the value proposition and make them confident that, you know, that how you're going to execute on it, on it with the use of proceeds and why you're going to be successful if they invest in you. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott, and in this episode of MedSider Radio, we caught up with Steve Anderson, CEO of Perceptus Medical and a fellow serial medical device entrepreneur. While leading and serving as CEO of Acorn Cardiovascular, he and a neighbor came up with the idea of creating a device that could help doctors insert a tube in children's ears in the doctor's office instead of the operating room. They ended up starting Perceptus Medical in 2011, and then in 2020, their Hummingbird device received clearance from FDA. In this fun discussion, Steve explains why your value proposition needs to be front of mind from the start, why having someone who's been there and done it before can help you navigate the process of getting to market and writing a study protocol that shows regulators exactly what they need to see. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I want to mention a few things. First, since you're listening to MedSider, you're probably aware of how expensive it is to run clinical trials. Anyone who spent time in the medtech space knows that you typically need to commit hundreds of thousands of dollars, oftentimes millions, towards clinical research. But it doesn't have to be that way. And here's why. Proofpilot is a new kind of hybrid clinical trial platform that enables you to run decentralized studies at costs that are 40 to 80% below traditional approaches. This is how they do it. First, you can easily design a trial in the Proofpilot Visual Protocol Designer using their extensive library of templates. Next, you can launch those trials to participants and virtual staff without any technical development. Skip the integration of disconnected providers because Proofpilot pulls it all together seamlessly. For example, you can recruit, consent, and retain participants, then schedule, remind, and collect data, often with minimal manual labor, manage site data in real time, query adverse events quickly, and review data and preliminary analysis within hours, all in one compliant platform. Get up and running quickly with an annual license fee and launch as many trials as you like with an unlimited number of participants. To get started, visit MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot. For the MedSider audience, with an annual contract, ProofPilot will provide IRB approval for your first study at no cost. Some exclusions apply, so visit MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot to learn more. Okay, second, if you're into learning from proven medtech leaders and want to know when the new content and interviews go live, head over to medsider.com and sign up for our free newsletter. You'll get access to gated articles and lots of other interesting healthcare content. If you want even more inside info from medtech experts, think about a Medsider premium membership. We talk to experienced healthcare leaders about the nuts and bolts of running a business and bringing products to market. This is your place for valuable knowledge on specific topics like seed funding, prototyping, insurance reimbursement, and positioning a medtech startup for an exit. In addition to the entire back catalog of MedSider interviews over the past decade, 
premium members get exclusive Ask Me Anything interviews and masterclasses with some of the world's most successful medtech founders and executives. Since making the premium memberships available, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people have signed up. So if you're interested, go to medsider.com to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hey, Steve, welcome to Medsider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Happy to be here, Scott. All right. Well, I provided a, kind of a brief bio um, at the outset of this uh, of this episode, but let's uh, let's start um, with you adding a little bit of uh, a little bit of color, a little bit of context to your background, and maybe maybe take us to kind of your like briefly touch on your early years in the in the medical device space, maybe leading up to your uh, your uh, your time at, at Acorn Cardiovascular and your your transition to to Perceptus Medical now. Well, sounds good. I'm I'm a true uh, medical alley guy, and that's medical alley being the local trade association for you know devices and healthcare in in Minnesota. We're we're pretty proud of what we've accomplished here, and and in fact, my I went to the University of Minnesota, got an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering, and then I uh, did graduate work and got a master's degree in biomedical engineering while I was. While I was doing my undergrad, I was fortunate enough to get a job at, at Medtronic. And it, it, you know, it really opened my eyes as to the opportunity. I think at that point, you know, a lot of people in our in our class and in our business were looking at, at, at supercomputers, at thin films. You know, a lot of the chemies were looking at, at things in the petroleum industry. Uh, still a lot of a lot of people going into automotive. I mean, this is back in you know, 19, I'm dating myself, but, you know, back in 1984, 85, and having the opportunity to see the medical device industry, really, in some ways, a, a nascent industry at that time was a great opportunity for me. I, when I started at Medtronic, I think that they were under 300 million in revenue. Wow. If you can imagine that. And the first project I worked on was a pacemaker that was not rate responsive. It was Brady only and was the size of a, of bigger than a hockey puck. So we've, we've come a long way from there, but so I, you know, from Medtronic, I went and worked at St. Jude medical, which at, in the early stages of when St. Jude was evolving into, you know, the, the preeminent mechanical valve company in the world. Uh, I then worked for a while at uh, TUF, TUV. Uh, Sue Deutschland, which is the largest notified body in the world. And so I was actually a regulator for a while. And then I went back into the startup space. This is my third startup. I was at uh, a company called St. Croix Medical, which was doing fully implantable hearing systems. And then I was at Acorn Cardiovascular, which was focused on heart failure. And now I've, now I've been at uh, Perceptus Medical, uh, which is developing innovative solutions, instruments that enable ear tube surgery for children to be done in an office and without general anesthetic and uh, without the risk of general anesthetic, without the cost of an operating room and far more convenience. Got it. And, and, I, and I'm anxious to learn a little bit more about uh, that technology and kind of what you guys are doing at, at, at Perceptus, or Perceptus. But before we go there, Steve, I know. I mean, you mentioned this. You know that that you've got a, a lot of a deep, deep level of experience, um, kind of on the on the regulatory side. What, out of curiosity, what what sort of um, what caused you to kind of 
pursue that path, you know, with, with, with more rigor, um, you know, dating back to your days at, at St. Jude and then kind of moving on to, uh, to two, was there something, there's something that intrigued you about that, uh, that field? Is it, is it the, the complexity, the nuance? Um, what was it? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Something I haven't thought about in a long time. When I was at Medtronic, and again, I was working, you know, I was really a tech, right? I mean, I, I was not a degree engineer yet, and I was working full-time whenever I could and part-time during the school year. But one of the things that I was interested in, in mechanical engineering, I did a lot of materials work and kind of combining materials and mechanical engineering, which, which meant I was interested in, in fracture mechanics, and failure analysis. And a lot of the emphasis was on, was on cyclic fatigue. And so that was a big emphasis of what I was studying in school. And you know, think back on this in 1983-84, the medical device, the MDR regs, only came out in 1984. And so I got pulled into some projects at Medtronic. Projects is the wrong word. I got pulled into some departments who were responsible for issuing reports based on the medical device uh, reporting regulation because I had this background in failure analysis and was used to, you know, analyzing and writing up reports on, on honestly, things that had failed. And so that's how I got the kind of the exposure to regulatory. And when I started at St. Jude, I was working on a project that was very unique, and I'd had a little bit of background in this project at, at Medtronic, and really nobody else in the world had kind of worked on what we were working on. So I was kind of fortunate that I was kind of flagged for having a unique expertise. But then the more we worked on it, the more we realized that the biggest challenge that we had in the project was with the FDA. And so I kind of evolved in that project from the development side to having to be the person that handled it from a regulatory perspective and, you know, wrote up the reports and, and did the submissions. So it just kind of evolved into that. And I ended up, you know, between Medtronic and, and St. Jude is, you know, where you, you kind of develop a lot of your early core competencies and mine were in, you know, development, clinical, regulatory, quality systems, some operations work, and some some of the early work in reimbursement. Hmm. And if you think about that, uh, those things are all the early the value creators for startup companies. Right. The things you need to get through. I wasn't. I was not quite as interested in that time in in kind of pure in the pure line function of sales. Um, I I kind of enjoyed the other work. I did some marketing, but you know, in terms of line function, it was really the operations side. I didn't do any sales work, but all of that combination of work, you know, kind of led me down the path into startups because again, that's what you're doing as a startup device company. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that, that's super interesting. Not, not bad core competencies to kind of fall into, so to speak, and really hone, you know, in your early, uh, early on in your, in your career. With that, no, and it, it is interesting, Scott, you know, yeah. a lot of the people that are going into startups. A lot of them come out of finance. Yeah. A lot of them are out of, out of sales. I, I kind of came in from the other path, right? Mm-hmm. I came in from the from the path of the other functions in the company that you literally use to build the foundation, you know, of that of that startup. And so I, I I had a little bit different path into the into the startup space and the C level positions in the startup space. But I, in a lot of ways, I think it was uh, it was an ideal background 
Yeah, there, there's no doubt. I often, you know, when I'm talking to, to, to friends that aren't, aren't as uh, familiar with the medical device or the med tech space, I kind of always use the analogy that, that folks that are experienced with Clin, Reg, and, and, uh, and you know, engineering, R&D, et cetera, that's like the equivalent of, of developers, right, in the world of software. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's folks with those those types of skill sets, you know, that can get uh, that are crucial, you know, in the in the early days of a, of a yeah, you have to know the up. details in mm-hmm. the early days. Yeah, it, it yeah, can't no, be no. something that's handed off. You have to you have to understand them enough to know which questions to ask at a minimum. Right, right. And I, I you know, some of the um, I spent I, I'm, I consider myself largely a commercial guy. Um, that's, that's where I spent most of my career in MedTech. Um, but it's it's probably one of the things that I would do differently if I had a chance to rewind the clock, right? Is I would actually probably get more involved in that side of the business earlier on in my my career because when I when I did have that opportunity with uh, with Covidian, it was it was so um, I mean it was instrumental, you know, uh, in terms of uh, getting my getting my hands you know dirty so to speak with uh, with a lot of the um, especially the regulatory um, side of the business, which I didn't really have a, a great level of familiarity with at the time, so. With that said, Steve, let, let's let's move forward to kind of your your time at, at Acorn. I think um, maybe I'm not sure entirely if you were in the process of kind of shutting that company down or pivoting. But what what it, I mean, this was kind of back in the 2010 11 timeframe. What attracted you to to Perceptus? Kind of walk, walk us through that story, and then we'll we'll kind of jump into to some of the things that you've you've learned, you know, over the past uh, you know 20 plus year career in, in medtech. Well, I'll, I'll say this too. When I, you know, when I was at Acorn and we ended up selling the assets of Acorn to another company in the space, we didn't get as far as we wanted, but you know, I was very proud of the work that we did there and you know, I reminded the people there that, you know, in the startup space, you know, you don't always win, but every bit of work, every bit of science that we produced expanded the field of heart failure and our understanding of it. And we did some seminal work there in understanding, you know, reverse remodeling and what it meant. And, you know, it became the gold standard uh, in the space for understanding reverse remodeling of, of the heart, at, you know, from uh, dilated cardiomyopathy. And so, you know, it's, it, that's kind of a, a message going forward to everybody is that, you know, you're going to have successes and you're going to have failures in all likelihood, more failures in the startup space than successes. These are hard jobs and hard projects you're taking on. Uh, this is why you have to go to alternative investment capital. Banks aren't going to give you a loan. It's too risky. But everything that you're doing, you know, you're doing with your passion, you're putting your your heart and soul into it. And that's why people can succeed with it. And it also means that the work you're creating is important work. It doesn't always end up that, that there's a monetization of that company, but you're almost always advancing what we know in healthcare. And so that so that's something that I'm I'm proud of and kind of advice uh, in my career for people as they're thinking about these jobs. But as often as the case, you know, when you're working on one area, you're always thinking about other things. And I have a son with special needs. Uh, he was born with spina bifida. He's a wonderful, wonderful kid, but, you know, his name is Noah and uh, non-ambulatory had, you know, hydrocephalus, he had a shunt, uh, had had rods in his back. He's probably had 25 surgeries. And so I spent a lot of time around these types of kids, these children's hospitals, uh, these parents, and I recognized what a dearth there was of technology, medical device technology. For these kids. 
And, and the problem with pediatric medicine, pediatric devices is that there, there's never as much incentive to do this because oftentimes the markets are very small and the regulatory and clinical obstacles and even the commercial obstacles are higher uh, because they're children. And so in the back of my mind, I wanted to do something with pediatric devices. And that was kind of my goal after, after ACORN. And one of my neighbors, I didn't even know what he did for a living. And I don't think he knew what I did for a living. And we'd got to know each other and our kids were, you know, swimming in the pool and we're watching them and having a beer on a summer night. And it, you know, it turns out we figured out what each other did. And so we started talking and comparing notes and ideas. And he was very, very smart, very creative guy. His name, Dr. Mike Lusheen. And it also turned out we were from the same part of Northern Minnesota as a, as a coincidence. So we got to know each other, sharing ideas. And, and we were both interested in this space. And that's where the idea for Perceptus came out of the idea that there had to be a better way to do ear tube surgery for children. Uh, so, you know, adults are mostly done in the office. Children are done in the operating room because they can't tolerate the trauma of an office procedure that adults can sit through. So, you know, we wanted to think about how we could, how we could do this and what we could do in terms of technology to enable these procedures to be done in the office in young children. And so that, that's how we got started. It was literally, you know, two guys sitting around, you know, a pool, having a beer with our kids, watching our kids swim. And that's where the idea came from. <laughs> that's that's great. So like a, a classic startup story then. And so was you were, I mean, it, it sounds like you were like, you know, at, at the ground floor of, of, of Perceptus. I mean, you're, you're as I mentioned, uh, kind of at the, at the outset of this interview, you know, you're, you're president and CEO now, but you were, you know, found, uh, you know, you helped found the company in, in its infancy. Is that right? Yeah. It's yeah. You know, what happened was, is while I was still working. So this was back in 2008, 2009. And Mike Lusheen and Keith Leland, who was a, a mechanical engineer, designer, a great designer that Mike knew, I'd never met him before. And so he brought in, he had brought in Keith to help him on some other ideas that he was working on. And then the three of us, you know, collaborated on what became Perceptus Medical. And the more we looked at it, the more we were interested in the idea of what we could do here. But, you know, the big advantage for me is I, you know, those guys did a lot of the work, you know, kind of as a skunk work project at night, you know, Keith was, you know, cutting parts and developing prototypes in his garage I, you know, we'd meet maybe once a month. I'd, you know, I'd look over what they were doing. We'd kick around the strategies of how to do things. But I, I really didn't have too much time to to do much outside of my acorn job and and with my young family and a child with special needs. So those guys carried, I would say, carried the water with me being there more sporadically. But as acorn was was being uh, the sale of acorn was being consummated you know, we started talking about if I should take over once that was done. And we made the decision that we were going to try it. And, and really, literally for me, what it was, was we were, we still were not certain if this was a technology, a licensing agreement or a real company. And because we hadn't done enough work on the reimbursement side. And so in, at the end of 2010, early 2011, 
you know, I jumped in as a CEO with the idea that we'd, we'd work really hard on this for four months on the reimbursement and then make a decision if this was kind of a no-go, go-no-go as a company. And the more I looked at the reimbursement side, the more I became convinced that we had a great opportunity here. There was obviously coverage error and there was coding in place. And while the payment wasn't what we needed it to be, there was tremendous opportunity here in working with the payers because of the fact that there would be so much cost savings by moving, transitioning procedures from the operating room to the office. And so about midway through 2011, we started you know, really getting serious about raising capital and we closed our early seed capital at the end of that year and converted from an LLC to a C-Corp and then, and then got busy starting in early 2012. Uh, I, lo- I love it. Since we're on the topic of of reimbursement, um, as you well know, Steve, that's like sometimes you know I, I consider it you know just as important, if not more important, than you know a, a regulatory clearance or approval, right? Because if your if your device is approved by a a regulatory body, but you know no one gets paid to to use it, you know it's it's like a, a tree falling in the forest, you know, and if no, if no one's around to hear it, you know it's like it, it, it never it never fell. So with that said, can you talk to us a little bit more about um, your thoughts around uh, coverage and reimbursement, and really more specifically, like as a you know as a serial kind of med tech entrepreneur, would you take on a project with a device that didn't have uh, you know a CPT code in place or you know existing you know coverage at the payer level? It's a really good question. Uh, let me let me start first on the reimbursement side. It's the most important thing that we do. You can't succeed without a successful development, manufacturing, reg, clean strategy, and execution. You know, you can't succeed without that. But even with those, if you do not have a successful strategy and ability to execute on reimbursement, you will not succeed. It's where the rubber hits the road. Uh, in our space, it's where, you know, it, it's where investors, you know, spend a lot of their time looking. They have to understand, you know, is there going to be adequate? Is there going to be coverage? If not, how long it's going to take? If there's not codes, what can you have in the meantime? And then what kind of payment are you looking for? Because if the economics don't work, you, you just, you're not going to be successful commercially. Yeah. It's good to hear you say that, especially considering your, you know, your deep, you know, uh, reg and, and clinical expertise, you know, for you to say that's, uh, that is the most important thing. It's not, it's not, uh, maybe it's, it is the most important, <laughs> important part. It is. It's where yeah. the rubber hits the road. Yep. You know, and it, it goes to the heart of our business. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a, you know, we always think of, you know, the hospitals and the physicians as our customers, right? But I mean, really deep down, I mean, is it the papers? Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. And, you know, it's it's not easy to blaze new ground in reimbursement with payers. I mean, they have economic priorities that they have to adhere to also. And it's it's not always economic. I mean, it, you know, depend I, I think when you've got life-saving technologies that can save lives, I think that you can. You can take more chances, you know, large markets, saving, mm-hmm. you know, high ASPs. You're you're more willing to enter startup areas without having all of your reimbursement pinned down. A lot of times, some of that is because 
if they are life-saving technologies, they're often inpatient. And the DRG system is the is the most fleshed out aspect of reimbursement in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? But I think it gets more difficult when it's non-life-saving technologies and you know, maybe things that are are outpatient, right? Or or home use or things like that. I mean, it gets harder and harder because oftentimes the you know, the, the payments are smaller and smaller and you have to make certain that the, that the incentives are there for everybody involved. You have to understand the incentives uh, of your stakeholders. And really what it gets down to is having a very clear idea of what your value proposition is. What are you providing that is going to, is going to provide value to the stakeholders? Right. And I, I love what you just said, because it, it, re- it resonates with me, um, probably uh, uh, probably because I, I, I literally just had a conversation. And by the time our interview is, is published, that uh, the interview with Nick Anderson will, will go live. He's one of my my favorite, uh, you know, healthcare economists. And we, we did a, you know, a whole, a whole podcast on, on this topic. And he, he said the same thing that you just you just mentioned, Steve. He said, you know, the one thing I, I really try to stress with, you know, med tech startups that I'm consulting with is that you know, your, your customer is not, is not the hospital. It's not the physician. Your customer is the payer, which is true in a, in a, in a lot of ways, right? Um, I, I, would, I would argue, you know, there's, there's multiple customers, right? You can't ignore either. But so many, you know, startup entrepreneurs, um, you know, forget about, about uh, you know, that, that crucial aspect, you know, that's it's- and there's, very, and, there's, and there's two very different camps of payers, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Payers, and then Medicare, Medicaid. Right. So it's, it's, it's extremely challenging, in that, you know, it's, you know, one of the jokes in our industry is that when you become an expert on reimbursement and one technology, you're an expert on one technology. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it means you figured out one small piece of the pie and, you know, that doesn't always translate to other technologies or spaces. You've, you, you have to keep learning. You have to talk to a lot of people, you know, it's, it's a very challenging area that at times I think overwhelms people. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, it, before we kind of transition to some of these other other questions I, I, I've got down for you, if you had to sum up your thoughts, right, um, on, on insurance, you know, coverage and, and reimbursement in general, you know, is there one piece of advice that you'd give to other, other uh, you know, med tech or health tech startup, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, leaders of those companies? Is there something that you, you know, what's the one thing that you'd like to tell them? Uh, about on this topic? Well, I, I think the one thing I'd say is when I look at the serial entrepreneurs that are really successful, you know, they have an ability to recognize value and, and a successful value proposition. But before they get to that point, you know, they understand, they understand these different areas. They understand what the regulatory path is likely to be, what the clinical path is likely to be what the reimbursement path is likely to be, how much capital it's going to take to get through these different phases. And really, you know, trying to figure out, making certain that you understand within that value proposition, look at all of the stakeholders associated with the technology and look and see how that technology is, is how it's going to affect them. You know, I mean, another way to look at it is, you know, you're going to be making changes to flow and logistics and payments. And you have to look at all of the players and, and understand there may be, 
typically whenever there's there's change in the healthcare system, there's winners and losers. It's like tax code. And you have to understand who the winners are, who the losers are, and understand what your story is for both. So it really goes back to making certain you do the homework and you have to define your value proposition. Uh, that's good. Uh, good stuff. Um, let's transition to something that's that's uh, that's definitely in your wheelhouse, which we we've, we already kind of uh, chatted about um, earlier on in this conversation, which is which is regulatory, right? Clinton Clinton Reg. You know, when you think about this this topic, you know, and within the you know within the framework of you know of of, of med tech startups. You know, is it is in navigating some of those 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 nuances with with various regulatory pathways, whether it's a you know a non clinical five ten k or a clinical five ten k or a de novo et cetera. You know what uh, you know what one to two pieces of advice maybe would you give to other startup leaders? I guess the advice I would have is from a regulatory standpoint, start early. You know, with the FDA, I'll look for every bit of information you can. Look for if if you're in, you know the 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 individuals who are, who are currently regulating that thing at the your, your technology at the FDA. They're the obvious ones, but there's other people too. Look for other people in that space. Sometimes you can come across you know uh, people in the industry who have worked in that space before and navigated those regulatory waters and can give you advice on not just the technology and. And I was treated, but even the individuals, right, within the agency. Sometimes you can be lucky enough to find former FDAers who worked in that space who are now working as consultants. So you really have to put together an understanding of the background, how, how devices have been regulated, you know, who is doing the regulation and what are, you know, maybe their strengths and weaknesses, so you have to start early and, and don't just think it's, you know, we're going to have one pre-sub meeting with the FDA and that's all I need to worry about. Look for every bit of information and understanding of that regulatory puzzle that you can find. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.